Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. So we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke for some time now, and uh, in each week we're looking at a different miracle from the book of Luke with the intention of um, finding out a little bit more about what life in the kingdom of God is all about. And so I'm going to begin by reading this um, story from Luke 17, starting in verse 11. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So for those of you who um, aren't up on the history of, um, of Israel and Samaria, where the Samaritans came from, just to give you a, a quick picture, Israel was a, a, a kingdom, a, a nation that was set apart by God. It was a people that, beginning with um, Abraham, was called out to be a holy people. They were um, taken into slavery for 300 years or so in, in Egypt, and then um, Moses led them out of Egypt um, into the promised land where God designated that they would be a people set apart. And this meant that they weren't to intermarry with any of the surrounding nations. And that might be a little bit confusing to our contemporary ears, but the reason that this was important was because the people of Israel, we have to understand, were the holders, the, the, the vessel in which the true religion, the religion of, of Yahweh, of God, was held. And so if they were to intermarry with other nations, then what would happen is that the religion would become intermingled with other faiths and become watered down and compromised. And uh, we can see as we read through the Old Testament that that is exactly what happened um, whenever there was uh, intermarriage. So they were to set a, be set apart um, and to be holy. And, and when they um, established the kingdom of Israel, Jerusalem was appointed as the place in which the temple would be built. And the temple was built on Mount Moriah, and the temple was the place where God would come down and have his dwelling in the temple there in Jerusalem. But then there was a divide that took place and Israel actually became divided into two kingdoms. There was like a, a political um, feud and a family feud. And so then they, they ended up splitting and having the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south where Jerusalem uh, was. And, uh, and then eventually um, most of the people got um, captured and taken off uh, into um, exile by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Um, but in the kingdom of the north, in Israel, there was a group of people who remained behind after the exile, who weren't taken away. And those people did what they were not supposed to do. 
and they began to intermarry with the other surrounding nations and people who moved into the area. And the true religion began to become compromised and, and, and aspects of other surrounding faiths got introduced. And this people group that developed through the intermarriage and the, the uh, faith system that developed is what became known as the Samaritans because when that kingdom was established in Israel, King Omri established um, Samaria as the capital. And then eventually the Samaritans came to believe that God didn't dwell in the mountain in Jerusalem. He actually dwelt in the mountain in Samaria on Mount Gerizim and they built a temple there and they actually developed their own um, Ten Commandments and they said, we've got the real Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments that we have say that God is to be worshipped in Samaria on Mount Gerizim. And, uh, and so there became a big divide between the people who identified as Samaritans and the people who identified as the Jews. And when the Israelites returned from exile, you know, we could see even in Nehemiah that already there was a conflict um, between the Samaritans and the Jews. So by the time um, of Jesus' day, this is a centuries-old conflict that exists between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they were hostile towards each other's holy sites. And just to picture it, you know, the Jews understand that the temple in Jerusalem is the place where God has his dwelling, and yet there's Samaritans who are saying, no, God actually doesn't dwell there, he dwells here. Now, you can imagine what an affront, I don't think we understand fully when we think about it, what an affront to them that would be to make that claim. And people who have wrong belief, you know, like looking at the Samaritans then, people who have got um, wrong beliefs which fly in the face of our beliefs obviously still exist today. We still see that everywhere. Uh, and um, I mean, firstly, Samaritans still exist. There's about a thousand of them that still live in that part of Israel. They still live on, um, you know, around Mount Gerizim. They still consider that to be the most holy place. And, uh, and they've got a, a lineage, you know, like they've got a, a, a high priest who can tra trace his lineage apparently back to Aaron. And, uh, but I'm not just talking about the Samaritans. I'm talking about lots of people, majority of the world who, um, who don't have the right beliefs about things. You know, they've got, a wrong belief system. You know, lots of people believe in God, but they don't believe in our God. And then, of course, there's people who believe in the God of Abraham, but they don't believe in Jesus. Uh, you know, Jews and Muslims, and, and we see, you know, other, I suppose, variations of the Abrahamic faith. I mean, we can see even people who are followers of Jesus in one kind, like they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe the right things about Jesus, you know, different kind of sects and offshoots and things from that are kind of deviations from Christianity that we would look at and we would look at what they believe and we have to go, well, that's just wrong. But then, of course, you know, even amongst Christians, even Christians or people who, you know, profess to be Christians have wrong beliefs don't they? Like we see Christians, who, you know, people who, who call themselves Christians and yet you find out some of the things that they believe and, uh, and they don't line up with what, they, with what we believe or with what I believe. And finding Christians like us who have all of the right beliefs turns out to be incredibly rare. But even in this church, 
I know of people who call themselves Christians and who still don't have all of the right beliefs in this church, maybe even in this room. I know some people who call themselves Christians, but they believe in predestination and infant baptism and eternal damnation, egalitarianism, even vegetarianism. All these beliefs which don't line up with what I see in Scripture. And yet somehow such people think that they can walk into a place of worship like this without any shame. And you do have to wonder, don't you, if the spiritual currency of a place like the Grainer isn't lessened by the presence of people who have got wrong beliefs. You might know some of these people. They might be sitting next to you right now. You see, we've learnt to tolerate people who are blatant displayers of wrong belief, haven't we? And uh, if we're to be a holy people, the question is, you know, to what degree can we tolerate people who have got wrong beliefs? The ancient Jews knew the answer to that question. John uh, Hyrcanus was the leader of the Jews in uh, you know, about 130 years before uh, Jesus was around. And, uh, and he decided that the way that he was going to respond to the Samaritans and their, um, their, their heresy was to lead a siege into Samaria and completely destroy and wipe out their temple on the top of Mount Gerizim. That was their way of responding to the affront of wrong belief. And of course, in turn, the Samaritans had their own uh, response, and that was um, to come and bring a whole heap of dead bodies, a whole heap of corpses, and sneak into the temple in Jerusalem and completely desecrate the, the temple with, with dead bodies. And, um, and so from then on, it, it became a, a law in Jerusalem that no Samaritan was allowed to be anywhere near the temple. They couldn't worship. They couldn't be there at all. But Samaria became this place, and I think we have a map, after um, everyone had, you know, the kingdoms had been re-established uh, after exile, you had Israel, which was made up of Galilee at the top and Judea down the bottom, and then you had the Samaritans who took up this place. They took up some area in the middle there. And Jews who lived in, uh, in the north who wanted to travel down to Jerusalem, which was in the south there for festivals and holy days, would have to travel through Samaria. And you can imagine what that was like they would be victim to, you know, at the very least heckling, but at the very worst, acts of violence. And Christians today, you know, we experience um, lots of animosity from secular communities. You know, in Australia, we experience, um, you know, I think in lots of cases, it's, um, you know, it's Christians can be fair game as terms of, in, in terms of um, being ridiculed and mocked for our beliefs. And then in other parts of the world, Christians you know, experience real violence. And so as Christians, you know, how are we going to respond when we experience animosity from the world? You know, should we, is it perhaps time that we start to put up our defences against um, the communities uh, of, of our, of, even our, of our country, be hostile towards us? And... Um, and start to say, actually, no, we need, to, um, we need to isolate. We need to separate ourselves. Is it time for us to create a community where we can teach our children the right way of thinking without any interference from secular ideology or without the interference from an anti-Christian government? Is it time for us to completely separate ourselves in order to protect this thing that we have, which is to be a holy people? And if we were to take a leaf out of the book of first century Jews, this is definitely what they knew to be the answer. Separation from the Samaritans. Don't have anything to do with them because they are going to corrupt 
what is holy and what is right. They've got wrong beliefs, and so we need to separate ourselves from them. And of course, you know, the Jews, for the, the, the victory that they were looking forward to in the time of Jesus was victory from Roman rule. And, and, and everything uh, about it which it brought, which, which was um, in opposition to the true religion. So do we need to be like the, the Jews in the first century? Make a beeline through Samaria. Don't stop. Don't interact. Because they've, you know, we're in a world with people who have got wrong ideas, wrong belief. And it can be tempting to entertain those sorts of questions. But then we see you know, this story in Luke, for example, which I've just read. And in this story we see a Jew who does decide to stop in Samaria and does decide to go into the villages and, and does decide to interact. And, you know, we have to face the fact that we follow Jesus and Jesus' answer to these questions would be no, no. It's actually not time for us. It's time for us to stop in Samaria. It's time for us to interact. And, uh, and Jesus, of course, wasn't just any Jew, because while the Jews and the Samaritans were arguing over, is God on this mountain or is God on, on that mountain, God was actually walking among them. And a lot of them just didn't have eyes to see it. And the funny thing is, is that Jesus wasn't out looking for belief. He wasn't going around trying to find people who had the right beliefs, the best beliefs. Because if he was looking for people who had the best beliefs, then he would have just stayed in the temple from when he was a kid and he would have just hung out there because in the temple in Jerusalem, he would have found people who had the very best doctrine. But he didn't hang out there. You know, he walked around the villages. He, he, he interacted with Samaritans because Jesus wasn't on the lookout for belief. He was on the lookout for faith. And that's what we see in these stories. Jesus is looking for people who have faith because we can have all of the best theology and still have no faith. As he's going into this village, these 10 men call out to him. And, and, you know, walking into Samaria when you're a Jew and 10 men call out to you, you're probably expecting that it's going to be something hostile. But instead, they call out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You see, these men, these 10 men were all lepers, but they were also all apostates because they lived on the border between Galilee and Samaria. So if they were Jews, they were hated by the Samaritans. And if they were Samaritans, then they were hated by the Jews and they were lepers. And lepers had to be outside of the village. So these men knew what rejection was. So this little group, this group of 10 was the one place really that we can see in scripture where Jews and Samaritans actually mingled. And the reason that they mingled was because this was one of the few places where there wasn't such superiority of belief. Because these guys probably were thinking, well, whether God's on your mountain or he's on my mountain, it's not really helping me right now. Because I got leprosy and I'm not allowed in the village. And they could actually unite over their common need. And what we see in these gospel stories is that faith starts with need. This is why Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And he tells people to go and sell all their possessions because he recognized that if you're self-made and if you're self-righteous, then you don't need any faith because you've, you've, you've made it yourself. We can have all the right beliefs and no faith. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. 
And so what was that about? Well, what that was about was that, you know, if you, were, if you had leprosy and you wanted to get back into the community, you had to show yourself to the priest and the priest had to deem that you were whole enough, healed enough to be able to come back in. But obviously these guys are covered with leprosy. So they could be thinking, why am I going to go and show myself to the priest? That's not, that's not going to be any good. But they had to just walk in faith. You know, Jesus didn't heal them and then send them to the priest. He said, go to the priest. And they had to step out in an act of obedience. And as they were going, they were healed. And therein lies the difference between beliefs and faith. Because we can have all of the right beliefs up here. We can have all of the best theology in our brains. But until we actually step out in an act of obedience to God, it's belief without any faith attached to it. Faith inevitably expresses itself in acts of obedience towards God. The ten lepers had unity despite their differences because they were unified around their need. And in this situation, they recognized their need for Jesus. And that's why they all called out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And like the ten lepers, we as a church can be unified around our common need. You know, we can come in here with all sorts of different beliefs and we can have conversations around what we believe. That's great. But we need to be unified, not about around this doctrinal point or that doctrinal point. We need to be unified around our common shared understanding of our 100% life or death need for Jesus as our saviour. And the funny thing is, is that it says one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Only the Samaritan stopped to thank and praise God. So, you know, you could assume from the story that he was the only Samaritan in the group by the, the way that Jesus responds. And the other Jews, the Jewish guys, they got healed and then they just kept on walking. But this Samaritan, he didn't think, you know, like the Jews thought, probably thought, well, I'm healed now and I can just go back, to, go back into my Jewish community with my right way of thinking. But this Samaritan would have realized my theology still isn't going to save me. He realized that he needed God not only for physical healing, but for a spiritual healing as well. And Jesus says, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he says to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The greater our awareness of our need, our own need, the greater our faith will be. You might be thinking, well, I don't have leprosy, so you know, I don't really have a great need for, for healing. But this guy recognized not only does he need a physical healing, he's actually got sickness on the innermost parts of his being, on his soul, like all of us do. The other nine thought they only needed a physical healing, but the Samaritan recognized, I'm just as unable to make myself spiritually whole as I am unable to make myself physically whole. And no good amount, no amount of good theology is going to help me. And only he in this story was healed in that moment in both body and soul. So how can you and I move from belief to faith? And I'll invite the band to come up. We can move from belief to faith, I think, when we see Jesus as the one who perfect belief. You know, God comes down, takes human form, and walks around with his perfect theology. And um, I remember 
Graham Irwin once saying to me um, that one day, I don't know if you remember this, Graham, but it was a good, good quote. He said, one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to reveal to us his true theology and we'll all, we'll all be wrong. And we have to recognize that, you know, as important as our beliefs are, there's always room for improvement. Our beliefs are not, our theology is not what saves us. Only Jesus can save us. And Jesus was the one who had perfect beliefs. You know, he was God incarnate. And what did they accuse him of? Heresy. He was convicted of blasphemy and murdered for it. And if we recognize that, you know, if we see God, the one with perfect belief itself, truth itself, crucified on the cross in the place of us who all have imperfect broken beliefs, then we should be like these 10 lepers driven to our knees to say, Jesus, have pity on us. Because what Jesus is looking for is not a people with right theology, but a people who will throw themselves at his feet. We need to be a church united by our common recognition of our need for Jesus. Because when, when I recognize that, you know, like when I recognize I am unable to save my own soul, no matter how good my thinking might become, then I'm unable to have superiority of belief over someone else. You know, to look down my nose at someone because they have a different set of beliefs than I do because I recognize deep down, even though my theology might be the best in the room, and it is, I I still am unable to save myself. This is what the, the Jews failed to recognize is that their beliefs weren't going to save them. They needed God to save them. And, uh, and so let's be a church which is, which is known for our, our recognition of our common shared need for Jesus. It's not as if like, yeah, I need Jesus, but that person over there really, no, no. We all 100% need Jesus the same amount. It's life or death for all of us. And if we can gather around that shared belief, then we can have, we can have theological conversations and, and we can do all of that, but we're doing it from a common recognition you know we can be like that community of lepers who despite difference of background difference of belief and and all of that can be gathered around the common need for the person of Jesus as our savior let's pray lord jesus i i want to um i want to with with anyone here who would join with me just come before you and say please have pity on us have pity on us for our self righteousness our our um, sense of being self-made, of thinking that we've got it all together. And if it's, if it's not religion, it's something else, you know, it's some other way that we try to make ourselves right. But deep down, when it comes to it, if we're really real with ourselves, we know there's that part of us that just cannot, we cannot fix ourselves. And that's where we need to come towards you. We need to come to you with our physical needs, yes, but we need to come, with you, come before you with our spiritual needs, and recognize that you are the way, the truth, and the life for each and every one of us, no matter who we are. And I pray that we would be the kind of church, Lord, that, that gathers around that central, common thing, that thing that we all have in common, which is need for you. We all share that. And, and more than just being a needy people, I, I pray that we would be a people who experience you as our healer, as our saviour, and that we, like the Samaritan in that story, would be able to live a life of praise. I ask this in your name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.